Father, we love you. We are here because of that one truth. And we are here first and foremost because you first loved us. Father, we want to be fed by you. We long to be fed by you. We long for your word to fill us up, to carry us through another week, to get us through a lifetime of battle in a fallen world. We pray that you would come and you would teach us more about your son and more about your spirit and that you would lead us. So I ask that you would do that this evening, Father, uh, and that you would use me for that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you know I am a father of four children. And if you know anything about fathers of children nowadays, you have probably watched more Walt Disney movies than you care to watch and have seen them through and through time and time again. In fact, our small ones used to drive me nuts when they were really small because they would put a movie in and they'd watch it again and again and again. And all of us have probably seen The Lion King. And in that movie... There's an interesting scene that kind of relates to what we're going to be talking about tonight. And that is that the movie is based around the fact that Simba, the rightful king, has been usurped from his throne by his evil uncle Scar. And Simba, later on in the movie, has three encounters. He has an encounter with Nala his old lioness friend that he used to wrestle with. He has an encounter with a crazy baboon, and he has an encounter with a vision from his father, all three of which instruct him that he is the rightful king, and he needs to go back and take his kingdom back. So finally, after these persuasions, he finally decides to do so. And coming back and returning to his kingdom, he looks over the kingdom to this barren wasteland where once animals frolicked in the savannas and under the lush trees, it is barren. There is barely any life left, and it is just a desert. And it is like that that Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, comes to his kingdom. Remember, the Father and Jesus had created the world. They had created the world beautiful and peaceful, a lush garden of beauty and, but when Jesus comes back in Matthew chapter 4, what he is going to find is that he is in a barren, desert, wasteland of sin and death. And if you want to open your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is very clear what the intention of his gospel is. He's very clear that his gospel is about the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom. He references the, king, the word kingdom 60 or 56% of the time. All the references in the New Testament are found in Matthew. The, the gospel starts out in, in giving us a, a long genealogy. I will not give you all of that. But there's two key figures in that genealogy that I want to point out to you. And they're found in the first verse. Those two key people are... Jesus is said to be the son of David, the son of Abraham. It is interesting to me that he goes to David first because who was David? He was the king of Israel. He is the one who the promise that an eternal king would come through was given to. He, his son would reign over the kingdom of earth 
for eternity. So Matthew starts his gospel by referencing David as the king and that the genealogy to Jesus was through David. The second person he references is Abraham, which is significant as well because to Abraham, all the blessings of the kingdom were promised to to, through his son. So Jesus is the eternal ruling king who has come. And he is the one by which all the nations would be blessed. And it is to this that, that we come to Matthew chapter 4. In fact, in chapter 2, what do we have? We have kings coming to worship the king. In chapter 3, we have the king being anointed by the spirit of God to come and take his kingdom back. And this is where we start in Matthew chapter 4. Where we read, when Jesus, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The scene is set for a great confrontation, a great bout to be fought. And the scene is set that Jesus is led by the Spirit of God to come face his great arch enemy. It's reminiscent of God saying to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? There is none like him. But where Job finally failed, Jesus would not. Jesus is led by the Spirit to confront, if you will, Satan. And after fasting for 40 days, he enters the ring and puts up his spiritual fist. It is interesting that Matthew references 40 days and the desert because it should hearken our minds back to the Old Testament where the people of Israel wandered for 40 years in the desert. What the people of Israel could not do when they were tested and they failed their tests in the desert, Jesus would make up in the desert by being tested by his arch enemy. He would make up for their failures. And so we come to the scene, and it is right here at Jesus' weakest point that Satan hits him. Look what Satan does. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I want to reference something. It is, we sometimes come to this passage and we make a, a, a vital mistake. We tend to default to Jesus being God come in the flesh, right? Because Jesus had two natures. But Jesus in this temptation is not defaulting to his divine nature. He has not given it up, but he has given up the independent use of his divine authority. He is being led by the Spirit of God and told by the Spirit of God when he can use his authority. He has come as a full 100% human being to make up where human beings failed. And if we come and say, well, of course, this can't be a true temptation. I mean, Jesus was God, you know. We will fail to see the significance of what is happening here. Jesus comes as a man in our stead to do battle with the devil. And it is at his weakest point physically that Satan comes. Now, fasting in the Bible means that Jesus was pretty attuned spiritually, right? Because people fasted to, to prep themselves for great battles. But physically, 
Jesus is emaciated and Jesus is at his weakest point. Now me, I go without a meal and I become weak. I mean, I become hungry. I use things like starving. Jesus is truly starving at this moment. And he comes and Satan says, turn, if you are the son of God, take these stones and make them bread. Now, because he's the son of God, does he have the power to do so? Yes. But as the son of God, what was his mission? His mission wasn't to save his life, but to give his life to save others. And Jesus counters Satan's first punch by saying, look at verse 4. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? His counter was to remind and stop Satan in his tracks and to say, I came for this purpose. I did not come to save myself. I came to save others. I will not rely on myself. I will rely on my father. Where the people, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, where the people are getting ready to go back in to the well, or going to go into the promised land. And they are called upon to remember that they must live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It harkens back to the fact that in the wilderness, God fed them by manna. That where they could not take care of themselves, God used a great spiritual lesson to say, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. And the Son of God holds fast to the word of God, knowing that his Father will provide. Where the people doubted and complained against God, Jesus said, I will hold fast. My life, my nourishment will be the word of God itself. I will trust in it. I will not default. So he defends the first punch of Satan, so to speak, by blocking it with the word of God and saying, man does not live on bread alone. If we try to sustain ourselves as Christians by physical, by only our physical realm, we will lose our spiritual life. And there is no life worth living that is not spiritual. If we only live in the physical, we will fail. Satan will have us every time. So the question for us will be, will we hold fast to the word of God above all else, no matter what the temptation is? No matter how physically weak we feel, will we trust God? And Jesus says, I will trust his word. His word is always true. And the tempter, the devil, is always a deceiver. And he comes to deceive and to test Jesus at his weakest point. And Jesus says, I will have none of it. I came as the king for a specific mission to redeem my people. That is my glory, is to lay my life down for them. I will not defend myself. I will not turn stones into bread to save my own life. So the first test, Jesus blocks by referencing the word of God and telling Satan, no, I will trust in the word of God. Then the devil, <clears throat> it says that next in verse 5, that the devil took him on a, on took him to the holy city, 
and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. The next test that Satan seems to bring to Jesus is a test of confidence in God himself. A test of, do you trust that God will catch you? Right? In any relationship, any relationship worth its salt is built on what? Trust. Right? And Satan is trying to get Jesus to distrust his relationship with the Father by saying, test him. Do you really think he's there for you? I mean, he's, he's letting you starve here. Why don't you just test him? His word promises. I mean, Satan quotes Psalm 91, 11 and 12. His word promises that his angels will not even let your foot strike the rock. You sure you don't want to test him? You see, if, if Satan can get us to have to test the Lord, we do not trust in our relationship with the Lord, do we? We do not trust in the person of God. If he can get us to test him, it means that we don't trust him. And Satan is trying to get Jesus to test his father. But it is interesting how Jesus responds for look at in verse seven what he says. Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus's reference goes back to Deuteronomy and goes back to where Moses reminds the people as they go into the land not to test the Lord their God. He reminds them of when their forefathers had when they tested God by not trusting him for water in the wilderness and demanded that God provide for them now for their thirst. They weren't going to wait. They've demanded now. And Jesus says, you do not test my father. My father does not need to be tested. He is trustworthy. He is true. He is God almighty. He will never falter. He will never fail me. I don't need to jump off this temple to prove that to you. No, I trust my father. I will not be like the forefathers in the wilderness. I will not doubt his trust. Remember, in the wilderness, God had taken them out of the land of Egypt, right? He had redeemed them by mighty miracles. He had provided for them. He had protected them through the Red Sea from the Egyptians. Over and over again, he had provided manna. He had provided water. He had provided shade. Their sandals lasted for 40 years. That's a pretty good set of shoes. Not because they were special leather, but because God didn't let them wear out because he provided for his people. He was trustworthy. And Satan comes along and says, are you sure your father's trustworthy? Maybe you should jump off the temple and really test his word. Some of us come to God that way. Some of us come to God when, when things are hard, when we lose our job. And, we, and Satan comes, does he really love you? Would he let you struggle like this if he was 
trustworthy? Is his personhood really trustworthy? I mean, you're sick and you're struggling. And you've been sick and you've been struggling for a while. And some of us want to test God and say to him, if you, then I. If you demonstrate, if you get me out of this mess. I mean, there was a a movie with Burt Reynolds years and years ago. I don't even remember the title, but I remember Burt Reynolds gets so frustrated at life that he swims out in the middle of the ocean. Not in the middle of it. That'd be a long swim. But way out there. And he dives down as far as he can go. And then he realizes, maybe I really don't want to die. And so he swims to the top. And it is interesting what Burt Reynolds does because as he's swimming to the shore, he tells God, if you let me live, I'll give you 90% of everything I have for the rest of my life. As he swims a little closer to the shore, the percentage goes to 60. As he gets a little closer, you know, it keeps dwindling. And most of us treat our relationship with God that way. We don't trust him, so we test him. Jesus will not do that because he knows the personhood of God is trustworthy. He knows his relationship with God is trustworthy. He doesn't have to prove it. And so where Satan jabs at him a second time, Jesus again blocks him by saying, no, my my father is trustworthy. I don't have to prove that to you. The third thing we see that Satan does is he comes in verse 8. And he swings at Jesus with all he has. It says, again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, to me, to, to me, when I first read this, I thought, what an absurd test. I mean, you're talking to the son of God, right? Didn't that seem kind of idiotic? To say, you know, bow down and worship me. I mean, I know you're my arch, I'm your arch enemy, but, right? But you've got to understand something. The test, what, G, what Satan was offering Jesus, again, don't default to his divinity. As a human being, Jesus' mission was to suffer and be tried and to go to a cross and to have his father's back turned on him. A fate that would cause any human being to shudder. Just the physical aspect of it. Not alone the spiritual aspect where all the wrath of God was to be poured on you for the sake of sinners. That almighty God's wrath was to be unleashed on you at the cross. Jesus knows all this, right? In fact, we know that it was so overwhelming to Jesus that in the garden, he pleaded with God to take the cup away from him. Did he not? What Satan is coming to him to say is, I tell you what, your father's promised you all this, the kingdom of the world, if you will stick with him. I'll do you one better. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer the shame. And you shouldn't. I mean, you're the son of God. You shouldn't have to suffer for all these ignorant sinners. 
all these disobedient people, they don't like you anyways. You shouldn't have to suffer for them. I tell you what, let's make a deal. You pay homage to me, I'll give you it all. Because who is Satan? He's the prince and power of the air. He's the war, he is the ruler of this world. Remember, this is a confrontation where Jesus is taking back his kingdom. And Satan says, I'll tell you, I'll give it to you. You pay homage to me. It's all yours. You don't have to do the cross. You don't have to suffer the wrath of God. Pretty tempting. Not to have to go through it all. Look at what Jesus says to him. You just got to love Jesus. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There is one who is worthy of worship. There is one who created all things and is God. There is one who deserves all honor. There is only one that Jesus would bow the knee to. That Jesus would serve in humble obedience to. He would go to the cross because God is worthy of all honor. The question is for us, will we carry our own cross? Because God is worthy of all honor. See, Satan's not done with his temptations, is he? We still live in a fallen world. We still have a tempter who, according to Scripture, goes around seeking to find out who he can devour. You, especially as a Christian, are on his hit list. He doesn't have to devour non-Christians. They're already in his kingdom. He doesn't have to test them. But you... He hunts for. You he sends his minions for. You he will test. Is your God worthy of your complete life? Of your ultimate sacrifice? We live in a world and God has called us to follow after a Christ as Christians. And that Christ has said, As a Christian, you must take up your cross, a cross that symbolizes suffering and shame and ultimately death. And Jesus here tells his enemies, there's only one I worship. And I don't care what the offer is. I don't care what pain you can take away. I don't care what suffering you can minimize for me. I will worship him and him Alone. Don't you love Jesus? Do you realize in this temptation, this was a real temptation where the human Jesus fought his arch enemy. Every other human being in history failed. Adam. In a lush garden. Fully fed and satisfied. Failed. To listen to the word of God. When Satan simply came along and said. Can you really trust the word of God? You know he's really scared that you're going to be like him. And he really doesn't want that to happen. 
Because he knows when the day you eat of it, you will be like him. You'll know both good and evil. Will we not trust the word of God versus the word of Satan? The word of the tempter, who will always try and distort things. We must know the word of God. When Satan comes along and says, are you sure you can trust the personhood of God? I know he's your father and all, but maybe you should test him just this once. Maybe you should put out a fleece there and make sure he still loves you. I mean, you are struggling financially. If he was a good father, would he let you struggle? I mean, you are lonely. Would he want you to be lonely? Are you sure you don't want to check? Would he let you suffer sickness ongoing? Is he really that trustworthy? Will you not come back and say, I will not put the Lord my God to a test because he is trustworthy. I don't have to test him. I know him personally. And he is my father. And he has my best interest in mind. And yes, Satan, you can distort situations and you can make them look like he doesn't care. But he has a mission for me. And at the end, he will make it all right. And I don't have to test him to prove that to me. No, I will not test the Lord my God. I will not put him to a test. And when he comes to you and he says, you know, if you'll serve me, I can minimize your pain. I mean, we have a lot of fun in my kingdom. I mean, we do some pretty cool stuff. Have you ever heard the joke where a man dies and he goes to heaven? And he gets up to heaven and, and the angel says, where do you want to go, heaven or hell? He says, well, you know, what, what goes on in heaven? So he spends a few days in heaven, you know, and it's peaceful and it's wonderful and things are beautiful. And he says, well, okay. And so the angel takes him down to hell and the, the elevator doors open up and they're playing golf and they're, you know, they're drinking beer and having a great time and there's champagne and people are toasting each other and they're just celebrating. It's a great party. Man goes and spends a few days there. And he comes back and the angel says, well, where do you want to go? And says, well, not, not to be offensive. I know you guys, you angels have not going on in heaven, but I had more fun in hell. So I'd like to go back. Angel says, okay. Elevator comes down, opens up, and there's screaming and terror and 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 it's hot and it's blistering and and you can see that people want to die but they can't. And it's just the most horrible scene in all the world. The man says, Whoa, wait, what happened? He said, Well, they were recruiting last week. Right? Satan is always recruiting. And if you have a point of sellout where you will give him worship, he will, you will sell out because he will offer it to you. But there is only one who's worthy of worship, and that is the Lord our God. 
He is the only one who is always righteous, always true, perfect in all his ways. And he alone deserves our worship. He created us, Satan did not. The devil is a created being. He is not worthy of our worship, but he will tempt you just as he tempted the Son of God. And the question is, is God worthy of your worship all the time in every instance? Because Satan will make offers. Brothers and sisters, what I want to encourage you with this evening is first and foremost that our great Jesus is a great king who won the battle already. What we could not do from Adam all the way till beyond us, he did in that desert and ultimately at the cross. He took on our arch enemy and he won. He could not be tempted. He would not take his eyes off the word of God. He would not doubt the personhood of his father and he would not give worship to any other but God alone. He was tempted to the nth degree and he failed not. He is worthy to follow. If there was ever a king on the battlefield worthy to follow, it's Jesus Christ. Another thing I want you to notice from this text is Jesus was at his wit's end and what happened? At the end, the angels came to minister to him. Why? Because he couldn't go on physically. Remember, he would not revert to his divine nature. He was fully God, but he would not use that because he had to be fully man to redeem us. And so angels had to nourish him back to health. Don't tell me he wasn't tempted. What's cool about that to me, just as an aside, is when you go through the battles, you can guarantee that God will come and nurture you. God will come and strengthen you. God will be with you in it. And when you're beyond, where you feel like you can't go any further, God will come along and he will carry you. Another thing that I think is interesting, and this is just an observation, but take it with you. Don't debate with Satan. Jesus doesn't debate. But I find sometimes I do as a Christian, unwittingly. What I mean by that is Jesus answers very succinctly. He goes to moral principles that are consistent throughout the scriptures all the time. Right? The word of God will never fail. You don't have to necessarily memorize the whole Bible to figure that out. Sometimes I, have, I see Christians who say, well, you know, I'm really not ready to to witness because, you know, I really don't know the word of God well enough. But you know the person of God or you're not a Christian, right? You know that Jesus came and died for you and that he paid for all your sins and that by faith in him, you live, right? If you don't know that, you're not a Christian. You don't have to master all the word of God, but you must know the keys to the word of God to survive. And answer succinctly when those temptations come. Don't debate. It's almost like Jesus uses one-liners. Man lives on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You will not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And there is one who is to be worshipped, and that is God alone. He doesn't debate with him, but he does block his punches. He blocks his temptation. And then he knocks him out of the ring by saying, be gone. Right? I mean, basically, knocks Satan out. Satan has no more. Jesus has taken it all. And then Jesus has enough authority to say, get lost. You will worship God alone. That's our king. So when it comes to your Christian life, hold fast to the word of God. Don't listen to other voices. Evaluate every voice by the word of God. Know that Satan will sometimes come along and even use the word of God and distort it, right? He came to Jesus and he used the word of God from Psalm 91 and he used it. He didn't misquote it. He misapplied it. See, Psalm 91 teaches the people of God that God will protect you and take care of you. But he takes it out of the rest of the Bible where the Bible says that, yes, God will ultimately see you through to the end and he will save you and you will be provided for for an eternity. But in this life, you will suffer. In this life, you will have trial. In this life, there is a battle that rages. And you are a soldier. It's kind of like the health and wealth and prosperity gospel that's out there that picks only the good parts of the Bible and says, God wants you rich, he wants you healthy, and he wants you happy. And then all of a sudden, what happens? These poor saps that are listening to this, that is not the gospel at all, when trials come and they're not rich, their God isn't God. When they're not healthy, their God isn't God. And when they're not happy, their God isn't God. But as Christians, we know that when you read the word of God, read the whole word of God. Take it in its whole context. Because Satan will come to you sometimes. He knows this book probably better than we do. And sometimes he'll take verses out of context and put things in, in your mind and cause you to think, well, I wonder if that's... Look at the whole of the Bible. What is the character of God? What is the nature of his word? What, who alone is worthy of worship? Amen? Hold fast to your God. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he became man for us, that he was born, that he died, that as Hebrews tells us, he was tested in all ways, yet without sin, that he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was human, that he had to grow in wisdom, as Luke tells us, and he did not default to his divinity but he was tested in every way like we are yet without sin. That he fought our battle for us and he won. And Lord, you never let go of me. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O oh Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. We give you thanks and praise your glorious name. 
strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong that you are faithful and you will never let go of us no matter where we are father if you have if you have bound us over to salvation nothing can remove us from you and so lord whatever temptation whatever is drawing us away i pray father that you would help us to look to jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who calls us to you our father in heaven god we praise you and thank you in jesus name all god's people said amen If you can, stay in fellowship with us in the coffee room. If not, God bless you all. You are dismissed.